Brought to you by Make Fun Network. Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Welcome to the Anachronismo 4th of July special. So, we were going to record on the 4th of July, but instead we went to a barbecue. And I thought it would be fun to talk to some of our friends, who are also all big history nerds, and just get some stories about America from them. What I failed to take into account was that we had all been drinking, and that... People's standards for what counts as a story about America may or may not shift based on that. So what we've got here are four stories. Two of them are fairly personal, and I would say America-based, but they're not really history stories. One of them is a gripping account of the sinking of the Lusitania. Well done, Serpico, for remaining the most sober of us. One of them is a shout-filled extravaganza about Amelia Earhart. Scott, I'm so sorry for what we did to your story. But I think it's still pretty fun. So, with all that in mind, I hope you'll enjoy the Anachronismo 4th of July special, colon, We Were Drunk at a Barbecue. Uh, hey, this is Max, and with me is Noel. Just, Noel, fucking just say his name, fucking microphone. <laughs> right. Why are you like this? <laughs> We're both at the same 4th of July party. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. uh, Jackie's here too, might talk to her later, we'll see. Uh, and yeah. What, uh, Noel, you're going to be talking to us about what? Connecticut Fried Dough? Uh, yeah. I I had a segue I was going to do into that, but... <laughs> okay, let's hear your fucking segue. Uh, uh, proud to be an American and lukewarm about being a Connecticut, but, uh, <laughs> but I will share uh, a fun fact about Connecticut that I did not even realize until I was a young adult, like 22, 23, did not know this. I love going to, um, you know, just fairs as a kid, wherever they popped up, like, you know, church fairs, town fairs, whatever. I had a, yeah, I loved fairs, too. Like, we had a, the Lions come to Lexington and do, like, the carnival there. Yeah. With all those, like, spinny, floaty rides that make you feel like you're dying. Oh, but we also had, like, yeah. like church fairs and, like, town fairs. And, shit. and, like, one of my favorite things was one of the fairs had, like, just, like, a few dinky events. But one of them was, like, you went in a sandbox and you dug out, like, a thing of clay. And a thing of clay would be, like, a cool rock. <laughs> like, like, you're yeah. an archaeologist. It was great. I loved it. Nice. And also one was a cakewalk. And let me tell you, that cakewalk was easily gameable. And I won at least two cakes every year. Uh, uh, did you walk? Wait, how does a cakewalk work? Well, a cakewalk is literally you walk around a circle until the music stops. And if you stop on the place where the cake symbol is, you get a cake. Oh, okay. Easy to game. Easy to game. Okay. It doesn't. It's not elimination like musical chairs, though. No. Okay. It's not hard to win a cake at a cakewalk. There's a reason that it's a synonym for something easy. Oh, okay. Yeah. I never really thought of the origin of cakewalk before. That's it. That's the origin of cakewalk. I usually, I think more commonly, I hear easy as pie. Yeah. Easy as pie. Pies. I mean, you can make an okay pie pretty easily. But making a good pie takes yeah, effort. Yeah. That's, all right. Yeah. I think that one's uh, a malapropism. Perhaps. Okay, Connecticut fried dough. Yeah. So I would go to these fairs all the time. Love fried dough. Mm -mm -mm. Loved it. And 
but there was always something missing from when I moved into Boston. I, I went to um, uh, one of these fairs, kind of set up a few booths uh, downtown, and I see this fried dough thing. And I was like, man, I haven't been to a, a fair in so many years, probably since I was like in middle school, high school. And I was like, man, they got that sugar and they got that cinnamon, but I just want my fried dough with marinara sauce. What? Everyone, literally everyone's response. So I go up to this guy and I was like, hey, uh, can I have, I'm going to get a fried dough, but I have a question. Do you have any marinara sauce? Guy looks at me for a few seconds and goes, you're from Southern Connecticut, aren't you? (laughs) It is a like only Connecticut thing. I, and the more I talk about it, it's like one of those things you never realize. But like every time I bring it up to a group of like people in the New England area, everyone's always floored by this i was at a work event we had uh two people from connecticut two from mass uh from one from rhode island i think one from vermont a couple from uh new york and we had all realized that yeah like we're in the same like new england plus new york area and i was like okay so everyone read off uh what state you're from and they all did that and i said okay now raise your hand if you eat your fried dough with marinara sauce and it was just me and the other connecticut person everyone else in the circles like what this is absurd this is a slander against american value people really do look down on you if you have fried it's like kind of like a fried pizza like it's yeah just- you know in pennsylvania they have what's called tomato pie yeah i'm not from pennsylvania i went to school in pennsylvania and they what that is is basically it's a big square pizza yep no cheese yep just tomato sauce, like really good tomato sauce, maybe sprinkled with a little bit of Parmesan. Yep. It's delicious. Yeah. But like, if you tell, tell that somebody who has never had it, hasn't go into, didn't go to school in Pennsylvania, they're like, that sounds like the opposite of a pizza. That sounds like insanity. So, well, see, the thing is, I don't at all because I have this to jump off of. But yeah, it's it's amazing. I like how people uh, just shit. But I, I had a, a coworker who started recently. They're from Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> I forget how I set it up, but I was just like, hey. Uh, that marinara sauce and fried dough, pretty good. And like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah, it's something we double, we love it, and we double down on it. What a weird shibboleth! Do you not know the term shibboleth? You're giving me a look like Shib- a shibboleth. A shibboleth is a cultural touchstone. It's named after these uh, sacred Jewish rocks. Okay, they were called shibboleths. I thought it was a dog. No, no, no. That's um, Shibu-inu. that's a dribboleth. Or a shibu, you know? A shibu, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going for. Okay, okay. Shibu, you know, left. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. So you know, uh, listen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this soapbox that you put in front of me called a microphone to just say that you know, if you, if you're gonna discriminate against uh, people who like to put uh, marinara on fried dough, um, fuck you. Really? Yeah. Like, look back. Like, look inward at yourself. Take and, a look in the mirror and make a change. Yeah, and then put some fucking marinara in your cereal. There is no that marinara. It. We eat marinara with everything. We put it in our cereal. We put it in our schools. We uh, we put it in everything. You see, I don't think there should be marinara. You, you ever had water with marinara sauce mixed in? No. It's delightful. Oh, it's delightful. that sounds terrible. That uh, sounds like uh, a savory water. We had to change our state bird because we uh, we gave a marinara sauce and it died. What's the new What's the new state bird? Uh, uh, um, Is it just a, um, an Italian big man bird. in an airplane? Big bird. <laughs> he was the only one who could stomach oh, no, it, stomach probably because it, yeah. it was a human inside a suit. Wow. Yeah. Wait, what? Yep. Oh. Fucking surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. That's 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 shattering some some beliefs of mine. Yeah. Okay. Well. 
Now you know. Yeah. The truth. About Big fried bird. dough and what? Big Bird. And fried dough. And Connecticut. What a cursed, cursed thing to learn. I love it. I Why is it cursed? Whoa, 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 whoa. Why, Why is it cursed? Is it cursed? Uh, I don't know. It just feels like something that would get me cursed. Putting marinara on fried dough. Like you ever like kiss like a weird doll? Like no, you're, what you're, the no? Whoa, whoa right, what? right? Because instinctually, you know that gets you cursed. D- no, no, it's just a weird thing. It doesn't get you cursed. You're saying like, hey, man, put some hot, uh, you know, tasty uh, tomatoy sauce on a bed of fried dough versus yeah, I was in an attic and I kissed a doll. So and- is it sweet <laughs> fried dough that you put marinara on? No, you don't. You don't put the cinnamon and sugar on it. You put it instead of cinnamon and sugar. Okay, so it's just like it's like a pizza pie. Yes, uh, it's like a fried pizza. Like like how you kiss a doll, and it's like this is no, fine. no, that's really fucking weird. I don't think that we're on the same page at all. You can get fried marinara or fried dough with marinara at the Big E at, though. At um, any pizza parlor. Wait, what's up? Isn't the fried dough like made with like a like a sweet batter? Look, it has like a sweet taste to it. I don't think so. Or is that my only my limited fried dough experience? I mean, most fried dough I've had is like, yeah, it's a sweet fried dough inherently. This is Rami, so by the way. So the fried dough is sweet. I don't think it, in the marinara sauce, I don't know if they... I mean, I'm still with you on the marinara. I still yeah, think it's a good what, idea. Uh, how do you feel about kissing dolls? It's really a weird thing to... I'm going to have to be a no on that one. Yeah, me too. Cowards. <laughs> was, it, uh, was it an American Girl doll? Uh, look, man, we, let, we look, your first kiss is a personal experience. I don't, I, a gentleman doesn't kiss and tell. Um, yeah, but a lot of those dolls were based on underage girls, so. Okay, but it, <laughs> I'm just going to give you a no, then. No, wait, no, wait. What's, what's the problem? <laughs> it's the whole kissing dolls. Okay, well, I don't see why. Well, it gets, gets you well, gets you, you said it was cursed. Yeah, no, it gets you a big curse. I don't see what the problem what is What was here. your curse? Well, uh. Have you met me? I'm very cursed. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. No, I was cool with your fried dough marinara. Yeah, I feel like you're was, shaming me for this doll kiss. I mean, it was just, it was such a weird, like, moment of just being like, man, I, I totally get where you're coming from here. Like, kissing dolls, man. <laughs> just like kissing dolls. <laughs> I don't see how that, look, everyone has different life experience. What's natural to one person isn't natural to another, you know? Hmm. Would you kiss a doll at a outdoor public community event? No, I'm not a fucking pervert. <laughs> We're gonna cut all that, right? So, hey, uh, Max again, as it has been every other time so far. Uh, still the same party. Joining me today is Serp, or short for Serpico. So, you're gonna be joining us on a future episode of Anachronismo to talk about the papal revenge killings. Yeah, the um, the papal interregnum, which is the interregnum being the term for kind of the Vatican states in between popes. Mm-hmm. So you know, a pope dies, they have to elect a pope. They need to sail in cardinals from all over the world. They finally elect a pope. Great new pope, but between the death of the one pope and the election of the second pope. Chaos. Chaos. Yeah. And we're going to look forward to that. But mm-hmm. we want to give you a, more time to do that than yeah. today, which is going to be a collection of short stories. Mm-hmm. So today, you are going to be talking to us about the Lusitania. Yeah. Because uh, this day is the 4th of July. We're doing America stories. Mm-hmm. What do you want to talk about for the Lusitania? This is a very American story, even though the Lusitania is a British-built ship uh, that was sailed by the Cunard Company, which is a British sailing company. But the Lusitania was sunk sailing from New York City 
to uh, to Liverpool, I believe. In order to pick up the Beatles for a world tour. Yeah, they, they wanted to get there early. <laughs> and they did. Essentially, what had happened was a, a single U-boat, a single German U-boat on a beautiful day uh, in May of 1915, fired a single torpedo and brought down the biggest, fastest passenger ship that was currently sailing in the world. Single torpedo. Which is all the more interesting because the Lusitania had a battleship hull, but a single torpedo sunk it. Now, was it a case of just right torpedo, right time? Was it uh, that the battleship hull wasn't that good? Were torpedoes that good and defense that bad? Is it a is it a real defense very v offense creep kind of a thing? So uh, at the time, uh, all submarines were essentially underpowered iron caskets. Sure, and where, where men went to die under the sea. Where men went to die under the sea, and so. They were very, very imperfect weapons. I mean, the, a, a term used in warfare and in sports a lot is the, the idea of a glass cannon. Something that's very powerful, but very, very weak. Most role-playing games, most, uh, most video games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, a, like a, a wizard with a big ritual, ritual spell is a glass cannon, you know. Uh, can drop the hammer, but can also be squashed like a bug. So U-boats were a lot like that. So it really needed to be, you know, anything could sink them. The, the Lusitania could have rammed it if it wanted to. U-boats at the time were not fast compared to other ships. They were not well-armed compared to other ships. They had a tiny little deck gun, and they had like six or seven torpedoes on them. That was it. They could only stay submerged for like an hour or two. Uh, their batteries, if they were touched with seawater, would release chlorine gas and kill everybody. Like they really – they were – Caskets, they yeah, were just total death traps. Total death traps. I feel like uh, the majority of submarine missions, U-boat missions at the time, must have just been a U-boat sank and many men died. Yeah, it was one of those things where they were most often not successful, mainly because a, a, a U-boat captain at the time would need to decide: well, what are the odds of me getting killed if I surface, versus what are the odds of me getting a kill if I surface? So the the reason why this glass cannon was able to sink essentially a battleship with 2,000 passengers on it was because at the time, uh, battleship hulls on coal-powered battleships would have these channels in the hull where they kept all the coal. Oh, no. So imagine, imagine a canoe. Hold on. Yes. Yeah, you got a canoe. But on each side of the canoe, just below the waterline, you have a giant inflatable like clown balloon full of thermite. Mamma mia, that yeah. is an unsafe canoe. Yeah, super unsafe with all that thermite in a balloon. Yeah, I mean, really, they should have seen this design flaw coming. Exactly. Yeah. So what had happened was if a ship, if a ship like that was full of coal, you know, great. It kind of stiffens the hull. Like it makes it actually better for absorbing impact from like an iceberg or something. But the issue is the Lusitania sailed all the way across the Atlantic. All of the coals in its coal bunker were almost exhausted. So there were essentially two hollow channels that ran the length of the ship that were full of coal dust and empty space. And the so, last thing you want coal dust to have. Mm-hmm. So the second the torpedo hit the hull, it hit about 10 feet below the waterline. You know, when a torpedo explodes, it's like 10,000 degrees of rapidly expanding gas, 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit of rapidly expanding gas. Even the most powerful hull would crumple up like tissue paper. Now, on a battleship, there are tons of watertight compartments and all that stuff. It's like a hun- it's like a rigid honeycomb. The Lusitania had empty channels along it, which filled with water. The Lusitania immediately started tipping. Mm-hmm. 
And then uh, its boiler exploded, I believe, and then it took a headfirst dive. The Lusitania, the biggest, fastest ship that was currently sailing uh, in a civilian fleet, sank in something like 18 minutes. It's a big ship to sink. Mm -hmm. 18 minutes. Dan, that's fast. Here's why this is an American story. Uh, There were American passengers on board. It was sailing from New York to the United Kingdom. And also, at the time, uh, the British Admiralty had had cracked German uh, submarine codes. They knew where the Lusitania was. Uh, They knew where the Lusitania was. They knew where uh, U-20, which is the German U-boat that sank it was. They chose not to divert ships to protect the Lusitania. And there are many reasons why the the person that was in charge of the navy at the time hated the Lusitania. They hated the Lusitania. Hated cruise ships. Hated cruise ships. Hated the idea of people on the sea who weren't military. They insisted upon themselves. Loved explosions. Yes. <laughs> Big fan of explosions. <laughs> well, the the thing is, there were there was a letter uh, a letter or two from Winston Churchill, who was in charge of the navy at the time, saying something like, "Boy, it sure would be great if a passenger ship containing Americans sank." Ah, oh, Winston. Winston, Winston, Because that would get the Americans into the war. Because this is 1915, the U.S. was still neutral in Mm -hmm. World War I. Mm -hmm. And they thought that if, uh, you know, if there were enough American casualties from, you know, Germans sinking passenger ships and stuff. We're not going to sink a ship, but we're not going to stop one from being sunk. And that did create a groundswell of support for the war. And by 1917, the Americans were in the war on the side of the British. The British who... One could argue chose to willingly let the Lusitania sink because they knew that it would cause outrage in the U.S. That said, that may not have been the case. There may have been other reasons. They were protecting other ships in transit and all of that. But the Lusitania was the biggest, fastest ship afloat. It was arguably the most famous non-military ship in the world. At no the one, time. Nobody cares if the SS buttfuck sinks, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, especially not with that name. Clearly, people clearly it's not in favor ship. That? They just you know, you know someone so, somebody crossed the queen is what really happens. Uh, what a what a miserable posting <laughs> on that ship. That cursed <laughs> it's a, ship. It's a real it's a real uh, real punishment posting on that it ship. Is. You don't yeah. want you don't want to be on it. You don't want to be but on honestly, it. Honestly, you have fun when you're there. Yeah, you, honestly, everyone on that ship is having a blast, just mm-hmm. saying the name over and over. Yeah, they just oh the songs. Yeah, oh, oh my the goodness. Songs yeah, are yeah, good. yeah, they they've got their own shanties. Ribbled. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but you know, stuff. a lot of camaraderie on that mm-hmm. ship because you're all in the butt fuck together. We're all in it together. <laughs> and that's actually one of their songs. <laughs> We're all in it together. <laughs> It's a tight squeeze, yo-ho, and it stinks like a tomb. But damn it, we're here in this awful little womb. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the Lusitania sank. Uh, the Americans were in the war, you know, a year and change later. Uh, it could have been really one of the big tipping points of American, uh, um, you know, American... In, uh, in the card game Chrononauts, which is about being a time traveler or changing the events of history to return to your home timeline... The sinking of the Lusitania is one of the, uh, what's called, uh, uh, linchpins, which affects a lot of other things rippling out through history. Yeah. And if you keep the Lusitania from sinking, oh man, you can change a lot of history in that card game. A ton of things would have happened. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the heirs, the Vanderbilt fortune was mm-hmm. on that ship. That's he one of the cards that you can flip, yeah. Oh, yeah. how about that? Yeah. So, yeah, um, a lot of things likely would have changed. Presumably, the Americans wouldn't have entered the war uh, if that was the case. Not that I'm saying that the Americans caused an Allied victory, but 
there, you know, if, if the Americans didn't enter and fight that last year, year and a half of the war, there might have been a negotiated peace. There may not have been as many, um, you know, crushing financial impositions on Germany. We there might may, not have had World War II. It, it, it may not have created enough disgust amongst the German populace that they were willing to go to war again 20 years later. Mm. Who, knows? Who knows? There's no way to know. So what you're saying is Winston Churchill is responsible for Hitler. I am going on record as saying that Winston Churchill is directly responsible for Hitler, as well as several other of the great, the great inhumanities of our time. I wonder if that U-boat even cared that it was the right ship. Well, that's the thing. It was. That, the U-boat captain saw it was the Lusitanian fired a torpedo. What's, what's the value to sinking a passenger ship? Uh, now, here's where it gets interesting. Really, up until, I mean, from like probably the mid-1700s up until the 50s and 60s, there was a clear delineation between combatants and non-combatants. Mm. Like in the, civil, in the American Civil War, there were tales of people sitting on hillsides. Watching, watching the, the battles, battles. Yeah. yeah. So it's one of those things where, you know, the Union Army and the Confederate Army wouldn't turn and fire on civilians. There was a clear. There was always a clear line. The Lusitania was a clear and decisive turning point was, in the ability to target civilians in order to demoralize a populace. Oh, well, there was that. But here's the thing: the British also were in trouble here. This was the fault of the British. The Lusitania, a civilian passenger liner, was transporting war materials for Great Britain. Say what? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where the Germans said, "Well." We don't know which civilian ships, we don't know which neutral ships are carrying war materials that will help our enemies. So we're going to sink everything in something we designate as a war zone. So the Lusitania at the time that it was sunk was carrying, I believe, rifles. I believe it was carrying ammunition. It was carrying other equipments for military use. Damn. Yeah. So it blurred the line between a combatant vessel and a non-combatant vessel, which gave justification to Germany to sink it, at least in their own mind. Um, it's very tricky. And I, I mean, there's there are some parallels that we can kind of draw now, too, is there are, you know, there are very... <laughs> to put it very lightly, morally dubious things happening in Iraq and Afghanistan, and you hear grisly stories of... Americans in uniform killing civilians, um, they would justify, just as the Germans did, that those civilians are merely masking military movement or those civilians have a basement full of weaponry. And that was the same, that was the same reasoning that the Germans used when they sank the Lusitania and when they sank other non-military ships. Cool. So there's a, there's a clear line there. Huh? Yeah, it's, it, things get really dicey when you can no longer draw the line between combatant and non-combatant. Yeah. Hmm? It's not like in a kung fu fight where everyone who's not kung fu fighting fists fast as lightning. It's just fine. Yeah, yeah, no, no. There's uh, uh, for everyone else. It was a little bit frightening. In fact, yeah, yeah, they yeah. wanted to get out of the way. Yeah, they thought they had expert timing. They really both sides did. The combatants had expert timing. And, the non-combatants had expert timing. And getting out of there, they yeah, got yeah, to get the hell out. Yeah, of yeah. Just, so that's what we got. I believe the children are calling it uh, yeeting at this point. Mm, yes, mm, yeah. indeed. indeed. So yeah, so it's it's a very it's very interesting. It happened, you know, now 104 years ago, um, 104 years and two months or however much, and uh, yeah, it it was a big turning point in American history. It was a big turning point in the history of global warfare, and honestly, it was one of those things where it it's a reminder of kind of the terrors that can happen when civilians are targeted 
and also when the line between civilians and militaries is is, um, is blurry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fucked up. Super fucked up. Well, thank you for sharing the tale of Liz Tanya with us, John. I, I feel like I can't really make too many jokes without <laughs> uh, totally uh, negating the horror of warfare. Mm. So I think I'm just going to enjoy this very cool story with this horrible things that happened. Yeah. And Nola's here. Now, if that... Because he's uh, also at this party and he's that, just come into this room. If that ship had been carrying a ship full of fried dough covered in marinara sauce, do you think they should have opened fire? I feel like that would be a greater war crime. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> and that does it for Servico here. <laughs> All right, so this is Max here, and talking to me right now is LJ. Uh, you might remember LJ from uh, the episode you guested on about uh, the history of bicycles and women's rights together, as well as, oh, what was her name again, who bicycled across the world? Annie Londonderry. Annie Londonderry. Thank you, LJ. Uh, Joining me here on the 4th of July, she wanted to share a story uh, from her childhood. Yes, this is surprisingly not (laughs) bike-related. That does surprise me, because everything else you ever talk about is. (laughs) That's true. So this is a story from my childhood. Uh, When I was in the 5th and 6th grade, Mm. I was in what's called a multi-age class. So 5th and 6th graders were all together. And we took a field trip from Maine down to Boston. And on this field trip, all of us were assigned a different piece of the Revolutionary War, and we were filming different segments at different monuments within Boston. Uh, So, you know, someone went to Bunker Hill. So basically anything you can think of on the Freedom Trail, all of those pieces. So I went to the Old South Meeting Church with my group, and we did this whole skit that was (laughs) around... (laughs) <laughs> this whole skit that was around the you know big announcement at the Old South Meeting Church, and I played the voice of the lion. So if you look at the, there's a clock face, and on either side is the lion. And so the you were totally silent because it's a clock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I did like this whole like roaring sound, and so I would roar, and then I would say whatever my lion line was. I don't specifically remember uh, your and lion the, line. Yeah. <laughs> And then at the end, uh, there was this very brief film of me walking from behind so you couldn't see me, but I was playing George Washington wearing like uh, my softball britches, if you will. Mm-hmm. You can't see me air quoting, but I No, yeah, but there's, there's, there's clear uh, verbal air quotes around there. Yeah, we can Right, so I wore yeah. a, the tri-quarter hat. Yeah. Is that what it's called? The yeah. tri-quarter hat, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like on Star Trek. Yep. yep. <laughs> That's where that word is from. Yep. I knew it was in my brain for a reason. Mm-hmm. So the tri-point hat mm-hmm. and these softball pants because they kind of only came to my knees so it kind of seemed like britches and sure. like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a vest and so from behind with like my hair and a little ponytail I looked I was supposed to be George Washington walking by and then other people commented oh my goodness George Washington just walked by us notorious softball player George Washington yes yeah. exactly mm-hmm. and what was the best part about all of these skits that we did they were all filmed they were all recorded uh-huh. so you have and a then, permanent record of shame for your yep, parents but all the time it gets better than that so they're all brought together and pieced together into a vhs tape Uh of course but Uh then it was made into multiple copies and distributed all through all the libraries in maine so any library in maine that you went to you could find this recording (laughs) of all of us doing our different skits for the different pieces of the revolutionary war in boston oof i still have my vhs copy which i should get converted to digital somehow yeah. um, so, but it was pretty great 
I don't I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. But I remember it's like going like rawr, rawr, and then make like a, a roaring light. I, I just got spooked. I'm spooked. Was, I mean that's like that's on, not as bad as YouTube, but like the specificity of like every library in Maine mm-hmm. having that. Like someone can stumble across that if they're in a library in Maine a lot more easily. Yeah. And especially have a VHS since player. I can only imagine Every well, probably yeah. most libraries. Yeah. Only four. There are probably four libraries in Maine, mm-hmm. right? Northern Maine probably still only uses VHS, right? Because I mean, yeah, I, I mean, as you know. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my story uh-huh. of making of a film making a that was then distributed about the Revolutionary well, War. Thank you for sharing your shame. If you are a listener of ours in Maine, please run. Do not walk to your nearest local library and find a VHS tape and get it. Get a copy to us as quick as possible because I need to see this. Or ask me nicely and I can provide you with the That doesn't seem as likely, LJ. That's probably okay, not but, as likely. I'm not okay, okay. Well, we'll digitize that and have it to you just very shortly. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, LJ, for sharing uh, your, your, your childhood story of America. Thanks, Max. So, hey, Max, still. Um, Jackie is also at this party, but she hasn't come on yet. Though she was listening to me talk to Serpico the whole time and just staring at us. And I thought she was going to say something, but she didn't. Uh, hold on. Here she comes. She's coming around the corner. She needs to come up to the microphone to say it. All right. I was going to say something about the Lusitania because it really was like the Germans were like, this is a war zone. We won't tolerate other ships here. And then they were like, oh, we're a passenger ship. Don't worry about us. We're just going to come through. And it's kind of their fault. Yeah. They were warned. Wow. Yeah. Wow, really? So they were asking for it, so we're kind of victim-blaming here. They were victim-blaming the Lusitanian, Jackie. If Scott was listening before, Serpico said that they were actually holding wartime equipment, like guns and munitions and things. So it's like they were warned, and they were like, oh, but we're just a passenger ship. Don't look in our hole. Mm -hmm. Um, So Jackie's making some little gestures with her hand right now. They're (laughs) saying she doesn't take the Lusitania seriously and the thousands of civilian lives on it that died. But, you know... I do. All right. So originally I had sat at the table because I thought you guys were just talking. I didn't realize you were recording. <laughs> and then I was like, well, I'm just going to eat my potato salad just in silence. get very <laughs> intense eye contact the whole time, Jackie. <laughs> but yeah, I felt like you guys were talking for too long for me to just hop in. <laughs> so I didn't. I appreciate it. I will say the story of Lusitania does bring up the long history of the U.S. using naval incidents as a uh, justification for entering mm-hmm. war. The earliest I can think of being the Spanish-American War and the Remember the Maine, right? Oh, um, yes. Uh, but uh, the latest being whatever the heck was happening in Iran recently, right? We're not going to get that okay. recent with history because right. it's it's depressing. Um, right. But, I mean, you can see a clear pattern, right? History mm-hmm. is all about patterns. But anyway, yeah, that's absolutely. not what we're talking – that's not what I want to talk about. We're talking about today. I don't know about that. Sure. Uh, I'm going to talk about a different kind of ship that is a ship of the air or an aeroplane. An airship. Well, no. <laughs> a Zeppelin. Uh, no, I don't know enough about Ah, oh, you're talking to us today about the Hindenburg. Uh, you know, hydrogen would be a fine thing to fill your Zeppelin so, with. But anyway. Sure, sure. So, so I'm talking today, right now to Scott. Uh, yes. This is Max. This is Scott. Previously was Jackie. Uh, She's still here. She's still here. She's still in the corner. You can't hear her very clearly on the microphone because she's off in the corner. We only brought two microphones Just to this Just get party. up real close oh, to Max's Oh, don't get to my lavalier. That's <laughs> <laughs> really uncomfortable. <laughs> Especially with that big straw hat literally hitting me in the face. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> we've all, yeah, we're all, we're all a little drunk and we're having a nice time. Yes. Um, 
So, Scott, uh, you're hosting this party, so please host us to this uh, fun story. So, uh, we are here in Somerville, Massachusetts, right next to Medford, Massachusetts, uh, very historic Medford, Massachusetts, home of Tufts University and the Jumbos. Why I mention this is uh, for the fact that one of my historical idols lived nearby here in Medford, Massachusetts for a large part of her life. Uh, And I am speaking, of course, of Amelia Earhart. Amelia Earhart, everyone knows of her famed attempt at a, an around-the-world flight, um, which was actually her second attempt um, at an around-the-world flight where she disappeared. Um, but that's not what we're talking about today, because she has a long history before that that is actually far more interesting than just the flight where something went wrong and they presumably ran out of gas over the Pacific and there's right. a bunch of flights that went right. There's a reason that the world's eye was on her at that point. This is true. One, first woman to fire a gun and kill a goose while flying. Really? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, she did do a lot of firsts. She was the first woman to cross the Atlantic. Okay. Um, in an airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> many women had crossed the Atlantic before. Uh, sure. She was a passenger, right? The first uh, she was a passenger. Thank yeah. you, Jay. Yeah. Um, so her... Actually, crossing the Atlantic, she was one of two women competing at the same time to get across the Atlantic to earn the title of being the first woman to cross the Atlantic in a plane. Now, was this at the same time as that three-man crew vanished while crossing the Atlantic? Or was this after Lindbergh had already made the whole, like, uh, thing across? Oh, dear. Was it Lindbergh? Yeah, it, it, was, it was Charles Lindbergh who was the first person to fly solo nonstop across the Atlantic. Okay. And he was after a three-man team tried and vanished on the way. Yes. And Amelia Earhart was after, after Lindbergh. Charles Lindbergh was also a racist. Charles Lindbergh was a lot of terrible things. He was a lot of terrible things. Yeah. Um, still unfortunate what happened to his baby. Amelia Earhart, however, was entirely, like, sometimes people say don't meet your heroes or, you know, don't learn too much about your heroes because you'll find that they are flawed humans. I can find no flaw in Amelia Earhart. She is... Uh, a tremendous human being. And I'm sure she had disagreements and was a human being. Um, But by all accounts, was a tremendous human being. She worked in South Boston for a long time um, at a, what is it called? A settlement house, basically like a, a, you know, a charity house, right? Um, When she was a child, she kept a journal where she would write down all of the jobs that she could do as a woman that other women were doing. Um, because she didn't want to be a wife who stayed at home. She wanted to do something with her life. So anytime she found an example of a woman doing something other than being a homemaker and wife, she wrote down, wrote it down in her journal. That's cool. Uh, she also built a roller coaster off the top of her shed. Uh, <laughs> One, roller coaster designer was right at the top. Uh, t- oh, awesome. Two, axe murderer, Lizzie Borden. <laughs> Three, aeronaut. Amelia Earhart. Yes. Four. So, um, anyway, tremendous human being. Uh, long, long history here in Boston, which is also really cool. So for a long time, she was uh, engaged to a Tufts boy, uh, broke off that engagement because marriage wasn't really her cup of tea, and she wasn't really the type who wanted to settle down and get married, as we've sort of established. So what I want to talk about is when she... So she was a famous aviatrix as they say in the time um god what a good name now she'd just be a pilot right yeah um good 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 terms there uh 
Like, I know we shouldn't use gendered terms for things, but aviatrix is a cool word. Aviatrix sounds cooler than aviator. Uh, Jackie, cool. would you want to weigh on this? Oh, yeah, aviatrix sounds way cooler. Yeah, Jackie has also been standing here watching this whole conversation happen, but because we only there's have only two, mics, two mics, there's only two mics. So I have not weighed in. Because I brought my, I didn't bring my, we didn't bring the good recorder because it's harder to use at a remote location. This is a party. It's, it's a, a party. Thing. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Yes, aviatrix, cool word. Got it, got it. Yep. Um... So we now have six people in the room while Scott is talking yes. about Amelia Earhart. And I love yes. this situation 100%, actually. This is great. Very good. Yes. Uh, if, if anyone wants to chime in, please just come forward and lean in, and I will hand you the microphone for a second. This is great. I love this. Just, you might want to say your name beforehand. Yeah, okay. If you have a, a joke, just like, come in, make it clear, make a clear approach. Um, yeah, it goes for everyone in this room. Uh, yeah. So you were saying. So making a clear approach. Uh, it, like I said, it was it was uh, Amelia was racing another woman across the Atlantic to become the first one to cross the Atlantic, and it came down to uh, getting clear weather in Greenland it, to determine if she was going to be the first one to make it or not. Who was the other woman she was racing? Uh, that is a great question. No, um, don't look it up on your phone. Okay. I, it's fine that you don't know. Great. I wish, so most of my information is from the book East to the Dawn, mm-hmm. uh, which I highly recommend. Very good book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I donated my copy because I don't feel like I need to keep things around. But and, you've, and you forgot how to read, yeah. And I forgot how to read. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, very good book, though. Highly recommend checking it out. Mm-hmm. We'll call we'll call her competitor Maisie. I don't know. It started Ooh. with an M. Maisie Williams. Uh, maybe. That's That's exactly it. I have an idea for the rival name. Yeah. Amelie Waterkidney. God fucking damn it. God damn it, Noel. Yeah, so Amelie Waterkidney and Amelia Earhart wait, wait. were in Greenland so, so LJ waiting for is clear here. weather. Yeah. Is, it, is it actually Maisie Williams? No. No, Maisie okay. Williams is Arya Stark in the... Oh. As Fooey as is shouting in the background, Maisie Williams is the actress who plays Arya Stark, and she's amazing. And she's a wonderful aviatrix. Yes. She's an incredible Anyway, um, so... Amelia Earhart making it across the Atlantic as the first one came down to the weather in Greenland where they had stopped uh, in their seaplane um, and it being clear enough finally to get out of the harbor Mm -hmm. uh, because they were stranded there for a number of days. Also, their pilot was an alcoholic. (laughs) Anyway, uh, some things never change. Sure. Pilots love to drink, Scott. Scott's a pilot. I'm not going to dig into the statistics here because you won't want to fly on a plane again. Not like a professional pilot. He has a pilot's license. Hold on. If you want to ask a question, you got to ask that question. You got to say that first. Yeah. So I have a question about this. If they were both stranded on Greenland together, wouldn't that kind of defeat the purpose of it being a race across the Atlantic? I mean, not if they would be starting out at the same time again. Not if you're fighting on Greenland. Well, that's fair. That's fair. But what if they had a plane with two passenger seats so they could both race across? Well, then whoever whoever crosses that line first is the winner. They, they so they'll be actually, fighting for, for for the seat. They were actually both in the same plane. <laughs> and the race was for who could get out the door fastest mm-hmm. when they landed. Who could tell shotgun? <laughs> the, the whole time, they were just wrestling and trading seats every time. So that's how Amelia Earhart became the first skydiver. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Involuntary skydiver. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, so Amelia Earhart was a great human being and uh, was constantly looking for ways that she didn't have to get married. Sure. Um, and, right. No, that was that was her whole thing. She's like, marriage is a trap for women. And uh, super OG feminist. Also, like, she was like, hey, what if what if pants? 
What if women wore pants? That was another thing that Amelia Earhart started. And as she was sort of a national icon, she really sort of led the charge for women wearing pants. Um, Woo! Yeah. For Amelia Earhart. Pants are comfortable. Yeah. They have pockets. Well, women's pants don't always have pockets. Sometimes they're just fake. Uh, And when you're climbing into an airplane, it's a great way not to be indecent. Yeah. Um, So anyway. It does deprive you of a free parachute, though. (laughs) We won't go into the aerodynamics of that. (laughs) That's so dumb. Um, (laughs) So my favorite thing about sort of free spirit Amelia Earhart, though, is uh, she eventually broke off her engagement with this boy who was a a Tufts alum, Mm -hmm. um, which is also my alma mater, which Mm -hmm. is why this Mm -hmm. this matters to me. It's like, you know, I've been born Highest proportion of student cocaine use in New England. Really? Mm -hmm. What? Yep. I was never invited to those parties. I used to work at Tufts. It was something that, like, like, that staff emails got sent out about. And by work at Tufts, I mean I was a... A barely paid research assistant in a literacy lab. Right. You told me about the truck that you saw pooping. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I saw a truck poop. Uh, I forgot let's, that. Let's not we'll get back it. to it later. Yeah. Um. <laughs> that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Amelia Earhart. Hold on. <laughs> Still thinking about the pooping truck. I haven't thought about that in years. <laughs> it was this big... It was this big, like, truck with, like, the, the, the thing on the back, you know, the... The, the dump truck? No, not a, not, a, not a dump truck. Like, <laughs> lift gate. A lift gate on the back, right? And I was... I'm, I no, was coming. was a I was, dump truck. I was, it was taking a dump. I was walking to work, and I saw it, and I came back, and, like, it, was, it had, like, a bunch of, like, logs in the back, and it was tilting the back, and the logs were, like, sliding out slowly. <laughs> so I saw a truck poop. <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, fuck, I forgot about that. <laughs> Were the hydraulics making groaning noises? <laughs> Noel, you're, you're not being picked up on the microphone, so I can't answer that question. Noel asked if the hydraulics were making groaning noises, and yes. <laughs> oh, fuck. So, you were saying a tough salam. Right, so Amelia was engaged to a tough salam. She broke it off because marriage is overrated. So... Later on, as she's become famous for being the first woman to cross the Atlantic, um, amongst other aviation feats, she's won numerous air races back in the time when that was a thing, uh, before they actually figured out really how to make planes fast. Uh, It was like, hey, this is a plane. Let's see how fast it goes, and let's race it against other planes and see how fast they go. Very dangerous sport, but she was a big advocate for allowing women to compete in air races or having women's air races or just allowing women to be pilots and do the same things that men pilots did. It's because of her that the term the flying woman became a term for a liberated woman who didn't have to do what society told her. Ah, I did not know that, but that makes sense. Yeah, this is because you guys forget about the first planes. You had to use your penis to make it move. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And the... Vagina piloted planes uh, were a lot more progressive. Uh, frankly, they were a lot more responsive because they used joysticks instead of just uh, cavities in which you had to insert something. Uh, there, there are some tales I could tell you about the Wright Brothers book that I read. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I walked in conversation. Yeah, those Wright Brothers, they had to dual dick the first plane at Kitty Hawk. Uh, uh, by wing warping, you mean dick warping. <laughs> Leave the full pause in there. 
you know, that's a real pilot flex right there because none of us know what that means. <laughs> Wing warping was the predecessor to ailerons. Don't worry about it. We don't know what ailerons what are. What the fuck does that mean? What's an Scott? aileron, Scott? What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> so, Amelia Earhart. So, Amelia breaks it off with this Tufts boy, eventually is courted by this man, George Putnam, who is a big journalist who's been covering a lot of her stories. Very tall. Sure. <laughs> he's, he's big in whatever way you wish to interpret that, Max. Sure. Gross. Big journalist, George Putnam. Anyway, George is something of a romantic and is like, hey, you should marry me. And she's like, thinks about it for a while, and like rejects him for like, I think a good two years or something like that after his initial proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually she agrees. Now, the thing that is my favorite Amelia Earhart fact is the letter that she writes to George on their wedding night. Mm. Or the eve of their wedding. Oh, no. It basically says, I expect, or I will not follow any code of faithfulness, and I expect not, I also expect the same of you to not be beholden to any archaic code of faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Basically saying, hey, George, this is an open marriage, Deal with it. Sure. <laughs> That's what I want. That's where this is going. Um, which, like... Always helpful. Right. She, and, and, like, the letter goes on to basically say, like... It's good I, to set expectations. Yeah. I mean, the day great. before, though? Mm, the the eve of the wedding. Yeah. Yep. The wedding. This was she, marriage. Well, yeah. she had regularly been seeing uh, other people. Um, so yeah. Like yeah, in her uh, vagina pilot aircraft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. There's a there's a One, famous. She was fucking her airplane. Sure, we all get it. Every dude was fucking his airplane too. They were just less discreet about it. I mean, it's <laughs> true. Um, they call it the cockpit for a reason. Um, What's that yeah. reason, Scott? Anyway, <laughs> thank you, LJ, for Get the well deserved. The this, is, this is his dining table. You shouldn't be standing on it. Everyone else got to just have the time to tell the story. I I feel like we're really dunking on Scott. <laughs> that checks out. That's, that's pretty typical. We're dunking mm-hmm. on the, the story. Like, no, it's on Scott. <laughs> no, it's definitely on Scott. Um, that's fine. No, that's how this goes. I know the story because we did it for an uh, improvised history show. Oh, yeah. Right, right. That's right. So, yes, yeah, so the story's also been featured on improv history. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, so she's like, also, yeah, uh, I've been seeing other people. Hope that's cool. Gonna keep doing that. Okay, bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sure. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's my Amelia Earhart story. Uh, I wish I could remember the name of the person that she was, like, regularly seeing. It was the father of a famed American poet. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, um... Balt Whitman. <laughs> not Wh- Whitman was a few <laughs> generations too early. Mm-hmm. Bartholomew Longfellow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it was uh, Langston Huge. <laughs> Okay, I have to look this up because I, I want to know the name because Hugh sounds like Brack familiar. Tamale Ice Pancreas. What? Oh, it's just the... Uh, oh, I see, I see. Like Amelia Earhart. It's kind of like the Amelie Water Earhart. Kidney. Yeah, I got it now. I'm, Tamale I'm the... Ice Pancreas. It's a stretch. I get it, I get it, I get it. It's a big yeah! Stretch. Oh, I'm just like George Putnam. Oh, big stretches. Putnam on the wrist. Yep. So glad I'm I can buying edit this. Time for, <laughs> I'm buying time for Scott. Ooh, oh, I can just edit down the time. Oh, no, you can't. Ooh, it's impossible. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, 
Uh, uh, well, then I can make that joke about Amelia only getting married so she could cut off a penis and use it to fly the plane. <laughs> Like, George, I'm really doing you a favor here. I really feel like we're really attacking the character of the historical Amelia Earhart at this point. Some 18th century people really believed in interchangeable parts, but you know, uh, my plane is. Amelia Earhart's from the 20th century. Yeah, no, that's. I I have a legitimate question. Mm -hmm. So you said she won the the cross Atlantic. I don't know why Race? you're looking at me, LJ, because Scott is the one who has the information yeah. about this. But didn't she crash mysteriously halfway across? Different flight. Different flight. Oh. She didn't just fly one time, LJ. She only got in a plane one time, right? Mm-hmm. That's how that works. That's not how that works, LJ. That's why it was so impressive that she did so well for so long. <laughs> didn't have her lucky penis with her. <laughs> yeah, she really should have brought her lucky rabbit's penis on that trip. <laughs> Okay, guys, full disclosure, I cut like 10 minutes of us just talking about rabbit dicks out of this episode. Uh, yeah, it's, God, it was pretty harrowing. Anyway, I still have those files, so. Send me an email if you want to hear them. Brought to you by Make Fun Network.